Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the ToddCast Show. I am your host, Todd Mira, and today we are joined by our guest, Billy Lar. Billy, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Doing well. How are you doing, Todd? Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing good. Did you see what I just did? I said today and tonight, which is actually accurate, isn't it? Where are you calling from, Billy? I am calling from Seoul, South Korea. So I am coming to you from the future right now. That is so funny. Um, that's exactly what um, what uh, my other guest said. He goes, I'm from the future. And I'm like, really? Where are those lottery numbers? Um, <laughs> and Seoul, South Korea, what a beautiful, wonderful place that must be. What's it like living there, Billy? So I, I don't live here. I come here seasonally because, oh. and I'll, I'll tell you now that I'm looking out my window and it snowed. And I was hoping to never see snow again in my life. But uh, unfortunately, I got here a little late this season. I usually I like to come here in the spring and the fall. I got here late in the fall, wanted to maximize my time because you can be here for 90 days. So I'm here in December. It's a little chilly, but nothing lights up like Seoul at night. It's just beautiful here. The, yeah. the lights everywhere are incredible. And the, the thing that I didn't realize about Korea and Seoul, too, is that it's actually quite rugged. There are a lot of mountains here. They're not really high mountains. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to use meters here so everybody just relax. But mm -hmm. it, it's uh, most of the mountains around here are like maybe 250 to 300 meters high. There are some that are 500 meters. And then the tallest mountain in Seoul is 
uh, Bukhan San, and Bukhan San is 836 meters. Now, wow. yeah, so so those aren't really high, but they they break up the city in a in a really cool way. So you get to see some different vantage points and lights from different angles. But then there's also the Han River, which cuts through Seoul, and mm. it's a really wide river, and it it's really really beautiful at night as well because you see the city lit up along the river from whatever side of the river you are on. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it, it really is incredible. I, I have, I enjoy the food here. I like spicy food. Every time someone says, do you like spicy? I say yes. And they look at me like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. just because I'm a Westerner doesn't mean that I don't like spicy food. And so they're always yeah. impressed whenever I can <laughs> eat things like Bude Jige, which is a, it's basically spam stew. But it's delicious. It's one of my favorite meals. And being originally from Minnesota, I feel proud that the Minnesotans who fought here in the Korean War brought spam with them. And they they dished it out to the northern communities, not North Korea, but North South Korea. And they Mm -hmm. dished it out to those communities. And they turned it into this wonderful stew. Now, when you tell people that bude jjigae is your favorite meal here in South Korea, they kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, that kind of has a sad history here. And I'm like, oh, should I not celebrate the fact that I love bude jjigae? Uh, or they just uh, kind of uh. laugh at me because they're like, they're like, of all the things that you like, you like spam stew, you like army stew. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's delicious. It's spicy. It like, what's not to like about it. It's got ramen noodles in it. It's, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites. So right on, no, man. it's a, it's, it's been a great experience. And the reason why I keep coming back here seasonally is because I made really strong connections with the meetup group that that I'll probably talk more about them, but they're called Soul Share, mm-hmm. and the people that I have met through that community, when I say they have changed my life, I literally mean they've changed my life, and they've changed it for the better. It's it's been a really really great experience to be here and be surrounded by that community, and the way that I give back to that community now is I I said hey, there are a lot of things that as a you know someone who comes here on a regular basis, but I guess it's still a tourist in some regards, even though I'm a digital nomad, I'm still Mm -hmm. also a tourist. I'm still exploring. There are things that would help visitors that I can share. Is it okay if I organize some events? And they're like, yeah, we love that. So I like to organize events with soul share and it it really adds when I think of my meaning in life, my meaning is helping people navigate the complexities and possibilities that life has to offer. And that's why I worked in education for 21 years. Oh, wait, and, wait, wait. We're, we're getting too far ahead, man. We got to oh, slow no, down no, here. D- don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> You're not getting ahead. I'm just giving you some background. <laughs> so I worked in education for 21 years and my dream job would be to, uh, as a tour guide. And, oh. and, and I, I just think about, one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me is, Billy, when you're excited about something, you want everyone else to be excited about it too. And I'm excited mm. about what soul has to offer people. So if I can, when I meet people who are new to soul, I mm-hmm. like to show them around. I like to show them the things that I have enjoyed because maybe they'll have a similar experience. If they want to go explore on their own, that's fine. But you know, it comes back to 
me knowing, and I've known at a very young age what my meaning is, and that meaning is just to provide people, uh, you know, an opportunity to explore the the complexities and possibilities that life has to offer us. Amazing, man. Um, gosh, how cool is that? Yeah, I've seen it on TV a lot, and I really like K-pop. Um, I've really enjoyed K-pop music and videos especially, but uh, the music is amazing. And honestly, just there's something about the music that's so happy. I think it's the happiest music on earth, quite frankly. And, you know, it could be, and it, it doesn't have necessarily everything to do with the beautiful women that perform it, but, um, it certainly helps. Um, but even the boy bands are awesome there. And, you know, I often joke, especially with my African American brothers and sisters. Um, I'm, I, I say I might be white like rice, but I got sold like South Korea, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so they always think that's funny. But one day I'd like to check it out. But you know, the fear of flying keeps me from enjoying myself the way that uh, someone like you can. Um, you know, and I envy that in a way, in a, in a healthy way. Um, but I've always been scared of flying whenever I get on a plane, I get sick and, you know, cold sweats and, you know, I'm scared that that's it. And it's like, oh my God, you know, I didn't make out a will like I probably should have. And <laughs> yeah, that's something that I had to overcome too. I had a real fear of flying and I, you know, would lose sleep the night before, but I think now that mm. I've, I've done it so often and that, that I, I feel more comfortable. I still I still am working on landings. Land, I definitely don't stick the landing. I, I really? that still makes me a little uncomfortable. But, but and takeoffs used to make me really uncomfortable. But now I don't mind the takeoffs so much. That's but, so weird. It, we're exactly opposite. Okay. To me, the landing is oh thank God, oh God, thank God, we finally made it. We're gonna land. Like okay, and and the takeoff is like oh Jesus, what's going on? Like uh, you know. To yeah, me, the that's takeoff that's that's me. kind of exciting. I like the I like the exhilaration of of when it hit of when it uh, uh, when they accelerate. But mm -hmm. I just it feels so bumpy on the way down, and I'm just yeah. like, okay, we made it this far. Just get me on the ground as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, man. I do, I do. That's really cool. How many years have you been going to Korea? I started coming here in April of 2022. So this is a relatively new thing, but I, I came here in April of 2022. I spent three months. I absolutely loved it. Went back to Minnesota where I'm from and sold all my stuff and then came back to Korea in October of 2022, stayed here for three more months and then traveled around Southeast Asia. I went to Thailand for six weeks. I went to Singapore for a week. I went to Vietnam for two weeks. I went to Japan for two months went back to Korea in what was it May of 2023 and spent two months there came back to Minnesota and wasn't sure what to do next mm. and was trying to figure things out was trying to get this uh, mindfulness meditation coaching business off the ground and things were moving slowly and I thought well why would I why would I be somewhere that I don't enjoy? when I can mm -hmm. go back to Seoul and be surrounded by my friends and I came back here and suddenly these doors of opportunity have, have opened for me. And I feel very fortunate that, that every time I come back, a new opportunity presents itself more so than ever in, in the States. So mm -hmm. I figure something must be 
pulling me back here. There must be a reason yeah. why I'm I'm here. And, yeah. you know, I'm just I'm not necessarily trying to figure it out, but I am I'm being present with what is happening and and figuring things out along the way, which is actually really kind of unlike me. I'm somebody who likes structure. I like routine. I'm not a go with the flow kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole idea of go with the flow when people say go with the flow, that drives me nuts because to me, my flow is planning things out. So mm-hmm. when you say go with the flow, are you cool with me planning things out months and ahead mm-hmm. of time? Because that's my flow. Hey, as long as I don't have to do the planning, technically it's flow for me. So that works. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so you know, I, I, I remember someone, I was telling somebody, you know, that my travel itinerary, because I knew what it was. I knew what it was month and, months in advance. And the guy was like, well, that's your problem. You're doing it wrong. I'm like, excuse me? And he said, well, you're doing it wrong. You, you sh- why are you planning everything out? And I'm like, because it's my trip, asshole. Like, why, yeah, exactly. why, <laughs> why, do you have, why do you have any input on this? I'm just telling yeah. you where I'm going. There's no <laughs> right or wrong way to travel. Like I'm someone who likes to know ahead of time where I'm going to be, because as someone who has been a long, uh, has struggled with anxiety for Mm. years and years and years, which is why I practice mindfulness, which is why I meditate. I tell people that I meditate so I can be this level of obnoxious because if I didn't, I'd be an Mm. out of control Mm. asshole. (laughs) So I like to know where things, where I'm going to be because that stability is really important to me. That that's yeah. really really important to me. And when you're traveling around, you, as as cool as it sounds, there are downsides to it as well. And I think people romanticize the digital nomad life. And actually, something that I'm working on with uh, a, a, another coach is how to help digital nomads who are feeling isolated or disconnected during their travels. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, Billy. Um, this is actually a good thing because we're going to work back up into what you're talking about. But I want to start a little earlier in your life. Mm. Um, and we typically do that in the first part of the show and then uh, get up to where you are and how you help people and all that good stuff. But we have a really good idea, at least now, kind of where you are at. Um, but I don't want the punchline to be you know out just yet so let's 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 go back way way back and and may i ask first how old you are today yeah i'm 46 years old so you know i host a podcast called the mindful midlife crisis and i feel like that is right where i'm at right now is i'm just kind of in this i'm in this mindful midlife pivot as as yeah yeah we're gonna talk about that too that was actually the thing that i was telling you about before the show and I was trying to figure out why I've been so depressed and, you know, having issues with uh, my, uh, you know, feelings of stability and all that. And, um, you know, granted, I'm in a new place. I moved here to the Henderson, Nevada area about eight months ago from Arizona, where I thought I was at home for 13 years and was very happy in some ways and very lonely and bored in others. But then I came here to experience more and to be around people and to find my people, maybe my wife, you know, hopefully one day. Um, 
But to be honest, it's been anything but a pleasant experience. It's been really difficult. And I thought maybe I was going through a midlife crisis, but it might not be that. We're going we're gonna to catch back up on that after a while. Um, but it's really interesting when you, when you said that and I, I read that about you, I was like, oh, this is good. This, mm. I'm glad that we're going to have this conversation. <laughs> so we're going to figure it out. But let's go back. First of all, where were you born, Billy? I was born in West Central Minnesota, a small town mm. called Sock Center is where I grew up. Sock mm. Center is the home of Sinclair Lewis. If anyone knows who Sinclair Lewis, any literary fans out there, he's the first American to win the Pulitzer Prize. He won it for writing a book called Main Street, which is a scathing satire of small town life, which is why mm. I think it is funny that we have Sinclair Lewis days and that we celebrate Sinclair Lewis because basically what he was saying is you small town simpletons are, mm -hmm. are, you know, are, you, you live with a very small, simple mindset. That's why you're small town simpletons, but That's true, but you know, because he is a famous author and there isn't much else to <laughs> stock center, we, we celebrate mm -hmm. him. We have That's what we so call funny. original main street because you know, yeah. he is, he's the author of, of main street, but, you know, I would, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't oh, I, I, no, I was, you know, but my, my childhood wasn't, wasn't anything, uh, extraordinary or traumatic or challenging. I, I, I feel very blessed and very privileged in, in that way. So, you know, I, it's interesting because I don't know that I fell into that small town mentality because i mean clearly i'm in i'm in seoul south korea right now i like big cities but then you talk to someone like my dad who and he's like why would you ever need anything more than this so there you, you can see that dynamic unfold mm -hmm. amazing um yeah i mean at least for me it seemed like the small town people did have a very limited viewpoint and limited goals, limited vision, limited capacity for different things. But on the other side of it, you know, there's that happiness and the peace of not having all of these other things. You know, I've noticed it quite a bit living in a bigger city now. I mean, good God, um, this area in Las Vegas where I live, um, you know, from the top of Las Vegas all the way down to the bottom of Henderson and all the way left and all the way right, the entire area is smaller than the county that I lived in in, uh, in Arizona. And there's, I think, two and a half million people here, if I'm not mistaken. And there were 200,000 in the entire county where I lived before. So it's like, holy crap. And there was like 800 people in the town where I used to live um, in the whole town, you know, no street lights or anything. And good God, like there's more people in my neighborhood than there was in the entire county where I lived in Arizona. It's such a weird switch and all that. But I've noticed it's it's a huge, huge reality check, man. It's like, holy crap, dude, I really like to my quiet days in the mountains. But like, you know, you got to be able to live and you know, earn an income and have opportunities. And I mean, sooner or later you meet the right people if you're around enough of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's in, for me, I try to be intentional around who I, I meet, who I connect with, who I network with, you know, that's, and that's why I, I've come back here. That's, you know, when I'm, I'm connect with people wherever I go, but one of the nicest things my therapist ever told me was, 
do you realize that you can go to any country and fit in that you just mm -hmm. that you just meet people that you mm -hmm. that you just transition very smoothly and i was like huh yeah that's that's actually kind of true so it was nice mm -hmm. it was nice to have her point that out because i don't know that i recognize that but then when i did recognize it it was like oh you know that that is a feather in my cap and i feel I feel good. That's something to be proud of. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm the same way, although I haven't been to other countries. Wherever I go, I tend to, you know, flow easily into strangers. And, you know, I want to get to know them and hang out and stuff like that. Some of them might be like, what the hell is this guy so happy about? But, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's because we love people, I think, Billy. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have a episode coming out here. I mean, I think your episode is going to come out a little bit later, but we have an episode coming out talking about the importance of strong connections. Mm -hmm. And I I do a, a I don't know if I would I like to think that it was this uh, uh, scathing takedown of Mel Robbins, who I love. I love Mel Robbins. I think Mel Robbins mm -hmm. is great. But one thing that I strongly disagree with with Mel Robbins is that she she was asked by Jay Shetty, who I also really enjoy. Uh, she was asked by Jay Shetty, what's the worst advice that you've ever been given? And she said the worst advice that she'd ever been given is that somebody else can make you happy. And she said, they can make you a sandwich, they can make you coffee, but they can't make you happy. I disagree. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask her is, does your husband know that he does not make you happy? Is that mm -hmm. why you would make that comment? I get what she's saying. She's saying you need to love yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I get that, that no one is, no one is, you're never really truly going to be happy around <laughs> anybody else unless you are, unless you are happy with yourself. I get mm -hmm. that that's the, the point of it. But I think about all the experiences that I have had in my life. I've had a lot of solo travel experiences that were really, really cool, really mm -hmm. cool solo experiences. Very cool. But the ones that added that that like really resonate i call them top 10 days not that not that i've only had 10 of them but you know like they're in the top 10 percent of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. experiences they've always involved other people other people have been there to share in that it reminds me of the line from into the wild when christopher mccandless says happiness only real when shared so this idea that someone else uh, can't make you happy that 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 someone can make you happy is bad advice i disagree with you mel robbins i yeah. love you i think you're hilarious yeah. I think you're great i think you offer great advice but that to me that is the worst advice that i've ever heard yeah i totally um i can see where you're coming from but at the same time i think that uh for me at least the point would be that somebody can't alter your feelings like it's up to you to decide how you're going to feel so happy or sad good or bad it's really up to you and and so to have somebody else influence that is one thing but to have them dictate it is another it's almost like faith you know you can't steal someone's faith and you know that's something that you could never take away from anyone else it's internal it's completely off limits there's no way to access it so in that way i would see you know exactly the point of like okay but you know what like having people and the sandwich and coffee that sounds like a good experience like yeah. I'm, I'm i'd be happy with that you know yeah. and, and the <laughs> longest running study 
on happiness that was conducted by Harvard researchers mm -hmm. shows that your community is what has the greatest impact on your happiness. You're right. You're right. And uh, I'm learning that right now. You're exactly right. Um, so let's go back. I know you said you, you had kind of a, an easy childhood, but let's let's just kind of go a couple different directions. I just want to capture some of what happened when you were young that led to, you know, what happened when you were older, if you don't mind. Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah. So I played sports. I grew up on a farm, but as my sisters will tell you, I didn't do any work on the farm. I was the youngest. I was the only boy. I was the favorite. Do they, are they still resentful? Yes. One more so than the other. The other is kind of, now we can kind of joke about it. I think the other one, my middle sister, she's very middle sistery about it. So, uh, so there's there's that dynamic there but i played sports i loved playing sports i'm active i'm a certified personal trainer so those kind of things have stayed with me into adulthood as well my family never traveled when you live on a farm you need to tend to the cows every single day not me but mm -hmm. <laughs> but my my parents had to tend to the cows every single day. So we didn't, we didn't travel. The only vacation that we took first time I was ever on a plane. And I think uh, maybe the, maybe the only time that I was on a plane all through high school was when I was in fourth grade and we went to like Epcot center and Disney world. But the only reason we went is because we also had to go to this timeshare presentation as well. I remember sitting through this timeshare presentation, like, what is this all about? Is this is this why we have to? Is this why we're here? We're not here to, to go to Epcot Center. Where I have to sit through this. So that was kind of the trade off. And then my my, if we did take a vacation, we just went to a lake in Sox Center and we we hung out there. And my dad knew somebody who had a cabin, so he got like an, a crazy discount. So we were able to enjoy a week at the cabin that way. So we didn't travel. I actually didn't have a passport until I was 37 years old. So that was 2014. That's the first time that I ever had a passport. So traveling really wasn't anything that we did growing up. And then mm -hmm. like in high wait, school, wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you're jumping around a little too much for me, man. Um, can you can you let me ask you some questions? Of just Because I, I try to go in chronological order. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to cut you off or anything. I just want to capture the essence of your life in a way that, you know, only a weird guy like me wants to do, okay? I don't know yeah. how interesting that part of my life is. So you can ask you'll, away. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd, you'd be surprised, actually. You're probably a lot more interesting than even you think, you know. But um, let me ask you this, just to kind of set the tone. You said you had two sisters. Did you have any other siblings? No. Okay. And are your parents still with us? They are. Yeah, they are, they're still with us. They they divorced when I was 26, but I mean, they could have, they could have been divorced when I was 13. I think they kind of stayed together for, uh, uh, until I graduated from high school so that all the kids were out of the house. And then I think they just sort of kept up the facade, uh, mm. of, of being married for, for appearances sake. And then finally they just were like, uh, and what's interesting is, I didn't, they didn't tell me that they were getting divorced. I was talking to my mom on the phone one day and she said something to the effect of I'm moving into the new house. And I'm like, huh, what, 
what was new it, house? Was a new house? <laughs> and so she then she just casually explained to me that oh well, dad and I don't live together, and I'm like, oh okay. And I mean, this is we saw the writing on the wall when we were very very young, but it was just kind of interesting. Like oh okay, well, this is finally happening now. I'm actually surprised it took so long for this to happen. Wow. And uh, do you remember like acknowledging that in your mind and like having feelings about it or was, what was that like for you as a younger person? I mean, well, I was 26 when I found out that, or when they told me that, or when she told me that they were, they were getting oh, divorced. Not, not so young. Okay. No, no, no. I was, I was, like I said, I was an adult, but you know, okay. just, I, I, you know, they, it, like I said, it wasn't a surprise. I was, I think it was more of a surprise that it took so long for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Wild. And did you have a good relationship with your sisters growing up as a young person? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, probably more so with my middle sister because, uh, she was, she was around more. My older sister, she worked a lot and then she went to college when I was pretty young like fifth sixth grade so then my mm-hmm. middle sister was around and my middle sister was very much a partier and and like i i guess i kind of looked up to her and her friends in that regards i'm like oh that you know this is this is cool and and always wanted to be around them just as the annoying little brother mm-hmm. so so yeah i had a i had a pretty good relationship with with my siblings i have a i have a much closer relationship with my oldest sister now than i do with my middle sister Mm, that's a bummer and when you say middle sister um you're the baby in the family correct okay cool very cool and do you still keep in close contact with your uh, parents yeah so we have an interesting family dynamic in the sense that like we don't we don't talk all that often. Like we're in, I, I know people who talk to their mom and their dad every single weekend. Some people talk to their parents every single day. Mm-hmm. Like we just don't have that kind of family dynamic. And, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, it's like, we don't, it's not that we don't like each other. It's just that we don't feel the need to stay connected with each other all of the time. My dad's mm-hmm. very social. He's got a lot of friends that he hangs out with. My my middle sister, she's very social. She has people that she hangs out with. So it, I'm very social. I have people that I hang out with. So I've, I've, we, we kind of spend time in our circles uh, rather than spending time with each other as well. And mm-hmm. my my oldest sister lives in, in Washington State. I'm here in Korea. My mom my dad has his house in Sox Center, 500 feet away is my sister, and then my mom lives a mile and a half away. And my mom and my That's dad awesome. get along. You know, they get a, we, we mm-hmm. celebrate our holidays together. So there's no animosity towards each other. They, they get along. They're friendly with each other. It's just that nice. they, they just couldn't be married to each other. That's awesome. Um, that's such a beautiful thing that uh, they maintain their relationship. It's, um, it's really quite nice, actually. I'm happy to hear that. Um, so when you were a young person, did you know what you wanted to be when you grow up? I mean, I, I think I, when I was young, I, you know, always wanted to be a baseball player, that sort of thing. So then when reality hits and I got into high school, my brother-in-law worked for Microsoft and I'm like, well, computer programmer makes a lot of money and I mm-hmm. like being in chat rooms. So that probably translates, right? <laughs> so, so I went to college for, for, computer programming. And about two weeks into that, I realized, oh, 
if I continue down this path, I am going to fail out of college. So mm -hmm. I just so happened to go back home to visit my, my high school baseball coach. And he, uh, he was a health teacher and he said, you know, Hey, you want to teach class today? I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. What's the topic? And he said, top 10 leading causes of death. And I'm like, Oh, I remember that from 10th grade, 10th grade health. So I, mm -hmm. I got up and I led this 30 minute conversation with people that I knew because I coached baseball. So this is all kind of, you know, this is all very premonitioned right here, right? That, 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 uh, I had, I would coach these kids and they knew who I was. It's a small town. And when I got done, I said to, to my teacher or my coach, I was like, gosh, that was kind of fun. And he said, well, you ever thought about being a teacher? And I'm like, I am now. And English was always mm -hmm. my favorite subject. I read a lot. I used to write poems. I used to write short stories when I was a kid. So it just made sense that becoming an English teacher was the career path. So I, when I went back to college the next Monday, I changed my, my major to secondary English education. And I finished out that God awful semester of Fortran programming and calculus and never mm -hmm. took any of those kind of classes ever again. Yeah. I feel you, man. Absolutely. Um, did you struggle in any way, uh, as a, as, and I know I'm focusing a little bit more on the young person thing right now than you might like, but, um, you know, I'm just trying to capture the essence of how you became who you are. And I'm just wondering, did you encounter any struggles, setbacks or obstacles that, uh, you know, showed up in your youth or, or in your younger years, you know, that were, uh, you know, something that stood out or stands out in your mind now? So I had cystic acne on my back and my chest to the point mm -hmm. where like I had scabs, I had scabs that were probably a, a half inch thick that were wow. on my body and I would ooze and pus would drip out of me. And I had to sleep with a t-shirt on because when I woke up in the morning, I'd have to peel the t-shirt off of me because the, the, the blood and whatever on the t-shirt it would dry at night and when i would take the shirt off it would pull the scabs off so i didn't want to do that obviously with the blankets and the sheets so i i, I am scarred on my chest and my back from the so cystic funny. acne and that was and that was 10th grade year and that was that was clearly no fun um wow. but uh but you know that was just something that that i had to navigate and i remember and I was be I remember being embarrassed anytime I took my shirt off because then I'd have to explain to people who were like, what the hell is up with your chest? And I'm like, and I would tell people, oh, I had surgery, right? And and then I remember one time I'm like, I'll just tell people that I that I got, you know, that that I set myself on fire because that was that was better than having cystic acne. So so you know, over time. I just said, oh, you know, I'm, what's the big deal? Like these are, these are scars. I don't have the cystic acne anymore. What's the embarrassment? So, yeah. So that was, that was a big challenge for me. Wow. Just, I mean, I mean, you get, if people couldn't come up and hug me, people couldn't slap me on the back. If I played, when I was playing basketball, you know, I would drive down the lane or something like that. And, and if somebody bumped me, and then I fell to the ground, like I had to come out of the game. So 
it's uh, wow. it, you know, 10th grade year was a really challenging year. I then I took Accutane and the Accutane cleared up that cystic acne. It, I, you know, I still had pimples. I still have pimples, uh, you know, on, on my face, but I think it's because I rest my hand. I touch my face too much. So I need to, mm-hmm. I need to stop doing that. So I'm actually sitting with my hands in my pocket right now, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, that was, that was challenging for me, but I mean, outside of that, no, I, I, things were, things were good. I grew up pretty, pretty normal. I didn't have a, you know, like I said, I, I feel very, feel very fortunate, very privileged when it comes to the experiences that I had, I guess just kind of in my whole life. Wow. That's amazing. And uh, so, I mean, was there anything that stands out that might've been like a no, no, or it sounds like you've had a pretty charmed life actually, especially growing up. I mean, did you do anything wrong? Like, were you just a, perfect little angel all the time or what like no but here's the thing my i had a really good trusting relationship with especially my dad and you know they were pretty understanding they're like you know curfews at 11 but if you're not going to be home by 11 just call us and let us know and i'm like okay so then i would call and and i'd say hey i'm is it all right if i stay out till till midnight yep that's fine Mm -hmm. so they were they were they were pretty cool about things but at the same time like i think because they were cool about things in my mind i set the expectation that hey it's you need to get good grades you need to be responsible you need to be a good person so those things just kind of you know i don't know that they necessarily got taught to me so much as I just kind of saw how my dad navigated things and navigated the communicating and relationships with people. And, mm-hmm. and like, for me, I wanted to be good at school. Like I, I used to read like encyclopedias and stuff like that. I was just kind of a nerd in that way. I'm, I'm reminded of like Johnny five from the movie short circuit where he's like input. I soaked up that kind of stuff. So, for me as just kind of a, a, a reader and someone who wrote short stories and who played sports, like those were just sort of the things that I, that I prioritized. There wasn't really a, a need to, to be a fool in any way. And, and nice. then when I, then I, when I was being a fool, then that's when I would get called out on it or, or I would recognize that, Oh, I don't like how, how this makes me feel. Now, when I got to college, then mm-hmm. like I was, then I started drinking more and I look at my twenties as just kind of like wasted potential, uh, that, that in the form of alcohol. So mm-hmm. not that I was alcoholic, but, but you're kind of in that gray area of, of getting blackout drunk every weekend. And, and it, it just, it made me made me two things it made me emotionally immature so i never really i never really grew out of that um until probably about like my mid-30s and then the other thing is that there came a lot of entitlement because i watched my dad and everybody likes my dad like he's just he's just a happy-go-lucky dude and then i watched my friend wes 
And Wes was, I mean, larger than life and everywhere he went, he was a star of the show. So, and then I looked at my, my best friend, Mike, same thing. Mike is kind of the star of the show. Very funny. People gravitate towards him. So there was this alter ego that was developing and I would go places and just kind of channel these three guys. And that would be my, this alter ego. And then Hmm. I, I would, I would. I would just, then I would be a fool. Then I would, then I was doing dumb things all the time. And, and, uh, and I, like, I, I feel very fortunate that nothing serious ever happened to me. Uh, unfortunately, like Wes died in a single car accident because, yeah. you know, he was, he was driving home drunk and, and, you know, when I, I, I just happened to be in Colorado that weekend with some friends, but the likelihood that I would have been in the car with him is pretty high. So then, you know, there's a little Uh, bit of what if that's in there, but you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think about that too often anymore. mm -hmm. I mean, there was a, there was a time when I thought about, gosh, you know, I would have most likely would have been in the car with him at that time, but, but I wasn't. So, so just processing through, because I worked with Wes too. That was the other thing is I worked with him and, uh, and having to go into school each and every single day was just, it was difficult because you'd see these memorials to him and it's like, well, I knew him as one of my best friends. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was challenging. So like I said, for, for me, ages one to 23, you know, zero to 23, nothing real pivotal happened during that time, but 23 to 30, I just look at how grossly immature and entitled I, I behaved. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there was a lot of uh, do as I say, not as I do kind of uh, behaviors that I exhibited, especially as, as a teacher, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to be this pillar of support and, and stability and a role model and you know like students would see me out students would see me and wes out being fools and stuff like that and then they'd have stories to tell back at school and you know there's some there's a little bit embarrassment that still lingers from there but not a whole lot because just like i'm not that person anymore you know i've left that i left that person behind and a big reason why i left it behind is because like I kind of hit rock bottom around my mid thirties about 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. I was introduced to, to mindfulness by my therapist. And ever since I started practicing mindfulness, I've been able to navigate these intense feelings of, of anxiety and understand the somatic experience of anxiety. And I'm able to hit the, the, the pause button on what's going on and slow things down as opposed so that I can respond as opposed to react. Yeah. And that's actually where we should start going now. Cause we'll, we'll have enough time to cover this and I want to make sure that we focus a lot on what you're doing now. Um, so we can just kind of jump right into that. Um, what would you call yourself? Um, how would you term what you do for a living? Yeah. So I'm a certified mindfulness meditation teacher, I'm also a certified personal trainer. I I consider what I do, I call myself a uh, mindfulness and intentional living coach. So mm-hmm. 
you can call it if you take that those names mindfulness and intentional living that's male so you can call me the mailman if you want i think that's corny uh you don't need to basically what what i like to do is i like to help people who feel like their emotions have hijacked them in some way uh whether Mm -hmm. it's because of burnout or whether it's stress whether it's anxiety whether it's isolation and loneliness I like to work with people, particularly teachers, because I was a teacher for 21 years. I taught English for 15 and I was a dean of students for six. So Mm -hmm. I know the world of education, both from the teacher's point of view and to an extent, the admin point of view as well. So I have those experiences and mindfulness is what helped me navigate the, the challenges of being an educator. So I'd like to focus on that. But then I also have this experience as a digital nomad. And as I talked about, we, we often romanticize this idea of being a digital nomad. But then if you, I was listening to the Jordan Harbinger show, which is my favorite podcast. I love that podcast. And he was talking about envy. And when you envy somebody's life, you're cherry picking. And if you want to switch your life with that person, you need that means you have to switch with every aspect of it. So everything that's part of that person's life, you need to take on. And when you think about it that way, then it's like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to be Brad Pitt because like Brad Pitt never has any privacy. Or if he does, he really has to to work to find privacy, those kinds of things like to to have paparazzi almost kind of fishing around to see what he's got going on like there's a lot that goes into that i Mm -hmm. would i like to make brad pitt money sure but do i want to have to sacrifice some of the 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 freedom that i have and some of the liberties and the independence that i have i don't know that i would i don't know that i would i don't know that i need to make that much money i wouldn't know what to do with anyway so when I, I when I think about that, then it it, it just kind of it reminds me that when it comes to digital nomads and we romanticize what a digital what the digital nomad life is like, you have to take into consideration that you don't have a home. And again, these are all self selected things, and I get that you don't have a home. People are constantly coming in and out of your life, so a lot of your relationships are superficial. Um, you are, you know, there's, you're, you're trying to strike this, this balance between, between work and exploration. People are like, Oh, woe is you, you, you have to, you have to figure out what amazing thing you're going to do. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But, but it's not just exploration. Like you do have to work because if you don't work, then you can't continue this lifestyle. You have to go back to the nine to five. So you kind of have to figure that out. And most digital nomads in some way, shape or form are their own boss, which is great. But as I'm finding out, being a solo entrepreneur is a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's really, really hard. And sometimes I miss the days of being in a, in a school system where they just sent students to me. They said, here you go. These are your students that you're working with, where in turn now I'm looking for for clients. And that's that's new to me. I've never really had to do that before. So I'm learning that and I'm and I'm making mistakes. And and, you know, each day is a learning process. But then each day that it's a learning process, 
is also another day that that maybe I don't I don't make money. It, mm -hmm. It's in the same way as kind of like being a a, a, a real estate agent, right? If you mm -hmm. you I know real estate agents who put in 13, 14 hour days, and at the end of the day, they've made zero dollars. So right. it's it, it, I, I think about it in in that regard too. So just, just kind of going back to it, I think that digital nomads they they in their mind they think oh this is what life is going to be like and then it's sort of the the instagram versus reality so then when mm -hmm. you get into the reality and it doesn't live up to expectations well then who do you turn to in order to process that and i don't mm -hmm. know that there are that people are specializing in working with digital nomad mental health so that's where i'm inserting myself i have that experience as an educator so i'm helping people, helping educators navigate their mental health through mindfulness. And I want to help digital nomads navigate their experience through mindful and intentional living as well. Well, let me ask you just um, if you could, you know, in a simple way, could you define what a digital nomad is for anybody that might not be familiar with that? Yeah. So to me, a digital nomad is someone who is location independent and mm -hmm. is able to fulfill the tasks and responsibilities of their job from anywhere. Most of them are like maybe software engineers or you've got content creators, you've got coaches like me out there who are digital nomads, but they are people who, like I said, they're location independent and they rely on technology in order to complete their work tasks. So to me, that's that's a digital nomad. Ah, very interesting. So if the lights go out or the internet gets shut off, they're screwed, right? Yeah, and you know, people are like, "Oh, I'll go to Bali." Well, you know what Bali has? Shitty internet. So, oh, Jesus. I mean, if if you don't have, if you're not in a place that has solid internet, the good thing I'm in Korea. They have amazing internet here. They have internet everywhere here. But like you have to you have to be mindful of, of that kind of thing. And I'm somebody who I'm done doing hop along travel. Like I'm not doing two to three days anywhere. I'm doing two to three months in a mm -hmm. city. And mm -hmm. and that gives me an opportunity. We call that slow travel. That gives me an opportunity to take in the culture of the city. But it also means that I, I'm not constantly jumping to the next city or I'm jumping to the next country. I actually get to be present in my experience in the city and not, I guess, uh, you know, hit the highlights. Mm -hmm. I want to actually take part uh, in what's the city and live in the city as though I am working and living in the city like, like a local. Now, am I going to do some of the touristy stuff while I'm there? Of course I am. Of course I'm going to do yeah. that kind of stuff. But I also have to make sure that I complete whatever tasks and responsibilities are on my plate for that day. Otherwise, you know, I don't get paid. I don't get paid for, for the work that I'm doing. And then I got I to gotta go back home and, and, and work the nine to five. Or even worst case scenario, not have a job. And then people look at that that your resume and they're like, oh, 
you, you get you're a digital nomad for a while i don't know how many corporate companies take that seriously so mm. you know and and that could be that could be me projecting and so i don't i don't have any data on that but i wonder if they see something like that as a gap in your resume and they hold that against you i don't know Dude, if you're uh, if you're I'll, if you're a recruiter let, let me know let, let me just interrupt you there because it's hard enough to get a job living here and being stable and like honestly i don't have gaps in my resume and it's been a chore to try to find something so simple that I'm more than qualified for. It's like uh, the whole work scenario has gotten completely ruined, I think. I blame it on AI and stuff, but I'm not really sure, you know, exactly what it is. But I will say that, yeah, um, unless you're teaching something that relates to that, I would say that that could be a nightmarish situation for someone, you know, trying to use a resume to, to get work. But your background will save you, so it won't matter. But, you know, yeah, it's like there's something about whatever it is that's going on right now that's really different than it was just a couple of years ago. And uh, I've been pretty active in that job searching world, and it sucks. It's terrible, man. Yeah, and, and I want to make sure that, that I'm not coming off as ungrateful for this experience. What I'm trying to do is just provide a, a, a full lens because there are mm -hmm. great – there are so many wonderful advantages and opportunities and experiences to be had as a digital nomad. But there, sure. are, other, there are challenges that go along with it too. So we have to take a look at the whole – spectrum of things and not just again cherry pick what what we think is great about it and mm -hmm. you know i think about like hey, it would be nice to 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 have a place to to just call home and mm -hmm. but i've made this choice and i i'm i don't regret the choice that i've made but there are there are challenges that go along with it i'm sure there are parents out there i'm not a parent and I made that choice, mm. right? I made that choice. I'm not married. I have made that choice. I'm sure there mm. are, I'm sure there are married people out there with children who are like, I would never, ever trade my life with my partner and my kids for something else. But are there challenges that go along with that? Of course there are. So again, we're just taking a look at the at the big picture, taking a look at the whole picture of it all. Absolutely. So, so that Absolutely. way it doesn't sound like I'm I'm being ungrateful. Like oh, you get, no, you no, get no, to no, feel no, your no. one of the things that, that I teach in mindfulness is you get to feel your feelings. And you, you mm -hmm. get you can be on both ends of the emotional spectrum simultaneously. You can be excited mm -hmm. and joyful and happy while also feeling confused and isolated. Those things can all coexist at the exact same time. And and with mindfulness for me anyway, what that has allowed me to do is just kind of separate which feelings I am experiencing right now in the emotional color wheel, if you will. And I will say, okay, I'm feeling this, but I'm also feeling this, and I'm also feeling this, and I can see them like they are fish in a pond or that they are clouds in the sky. And I'm mm -hmm. able to recognize them, and I'm able to accept that this is where I am and this is what I'm feeling in this present moment. And in doing so, I am able to operate from an awareness of those emotions 
And that allows me to respond as opposed to react impulsively due to those emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, and uh, is it okay if we go over a few minutes? I know you have a meeting, but we won't go nearly that far. But no, like we're we good. Take another 10, 15 extra minutes or something. Um, okay, so let's help people understand a little bit more about what mindfulness really means. I mean, I know it's a term that they throw around. It's like yoga and namaste and all kinds of other things. But mindfulness isn't just a word. It's a, it's a way of life, isn't it? Correct. I had this great conversation with a, a woman who, who said, Billy, don't you feel like mindfulness has a PR problem? And I said, absolutely. It has a PR problem because people are sick and tired of being told to be more mindful, especially by people who have absolutely no idea what it means <laughs> to be mindful. And then meditation, people just view as boring. And I don't blame them. It can be boring, certainly. Or when I try to say, hey, why don't you come and I'll, I'll lead you through this meditation practice. Oh, well, I, I can just meditate on my own, right? Yeah, you could. You know what else you could do? You could you could eat more vegetables on your own. You could exercise on your own. You could hydrate better. Do you do those things? Mm, no. So what happens when you don't do those things? Do you hire a nutrition coach? Do you hire a, 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 a personal trainer? Those kind of things, right? So yeah, you could be more mindful, but if you don't really have a grasp of what that means or what that looks like or what that all entails, then are you really living a mindful and intentional life? So when we define mindfulness, it is being with being aware of what is present in that moment. But then mm. the trick is and the challenge is to be able to do that without judgment and just mm. be a witness to your experience, to be an observer. And that is really, really hard to just sit with what is. What we mean by that is that you go from doing mode to being mode. And being mode sounds indulgent. It sounds lazy. But, you know, like you said, I have a, I have a meeting after, after we're finished here. I'm going to take five to ten minutes to simply just sit with my breath because I love doing podcast interviews and I get amped up when I talk about or when I'm doing podcast interviews, but mm -hmm. I'm going to have to shift my mindset from this conversation to the next conversation. So I'm going to take five mm -hmm. to 10 minutes to just simply be present with my breath so that I can allow my brain to cool down and I can tap in and connect with what my body is telling me too. Do I need to go to the bathroom? Do I need to get a drink of water? Do I need to eat something? You think about how many times we go throughout the day and then all of a sudden we're just like, oh my gosh, I've just been in this flow state for so long. I'm starving. And then what happens when you're starving is you just force feed yourself with food. You just shovel food into your mouth. Well, what if you were able to break up that flow state into, hey, I'm, I'm going to crush it here for the next hour. But as part of this flow state, I'm going to give myself five minutes to simply just be. Because mm -hmm. that's going to give my brain time to sort of slow down and process what I've done, maybe even appreciate what I've done, and mm -hmm. then continue on with the task, maybe with, 
with with less fatigue. So people are always like, well, okay, this sounds very woo woo. And the reality is, is that the brain research shows us that mindfulness does two very important things in the brain that Mm -hmm. when we talk about the neuroplasticity of the brain, it does two very important things. The first thing that's really important is that it builds up the gray matter in our prefrontal cortex. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until we're 25, and our prefrontal cortex is what regulates emotions. So that's why between the age, until you turn 25 or whatever, is why you're an emotional wreck. Okay. So Mm. you think about the car rental companies do it right. They say, we're not renting you a car until you turn 25, till you've mm-hmm. reached some level of emotional maturity, because that's what the brain research suggests to us. So we're developing that prefrontal cortex, the gray matter in there to regulate emotion. But then the other thing that it's doing on the backside of your brain is that it is cooling and actually shrinking the amygdala. And the amygdala is our animal brain. That's what activates our fight, flight, or fright. We need the amygdala. We have survived for millennia, thank you to the to the the amygdala, because it activates our survival mode. But we're not in the same survival mode that we were in hundreds or thousands of years ago. We're not facing the same threats. The thing is, though, we still perceive things around us as threats. So then that activates our amygdala. And when we have an overactivated amygdala, then we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with stress. And if we don't have the tools, if we don't have that gray matter built up in the prefrontal cortex, it makes it very difficult for us to respond to stimuli and we're more prone to impulsively react to it. So Mm. that's kind of the science behind mindfulness and a very generic explanation right there. But like for me, I am, what has helped me the most is when I experience anxiety, I know where I feel it in my body. And if I'm able to bring awareness to, oh, hey, I'm tuning into my body right now. And I mm-hmm. feel I, this is like the on count. This is the, the, the beginnings of an anxiety attack. So now that I'm aware of that, I'm just going to keep this feeling in my stomach where it's at. I'm not going to try and shove it down because it's just going to push back even harder, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and keep it where it's at through awareness and through breath work, even as though I'm, if I'm talking to you or I would have anxiety attacks while being up at the classroom, but I had able to manage them. And then from there, get people on tasks on t- to, to start doing their work and then go to my desk and just simply breathe and then slowly let go of, of, of that anxiety. In a sense, mindfulness acts as a thermostat as opposed to a thermometer. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, you know, it's funny because I've dealt with quite a bit of stress in my life and uh, sometimes it, you know, was unbearable and led to behaviors that, you know, were probably unbearable for others, uh, including myself. But um, let me ask you, because you mentioned something early on, um, and I just wanted to kind of touch upon it just for fun. What's the difference between a midlife crisis and 
other types of stress. Like if you're in that zone of age where it's like, man, something's really wrong and I must be having a midlife crisis. What do you, how would you define that uh, differently than, you know, normal stress? It, to be honest, I don't think that there's any difference. Um, okay. So you have a quarter life crisis. You have a crisis when you turn 30, just it's whatever stage of life you are in. So a lot of the characteristics that people experience between the ages of 35 and 55 mm -hmm. are, you know, maybe they've been working the same job for 20 years. They, that's what they got their degree in and they felt really excited about it. Then they felt really passionate about it then, but you've been doing it for how long and you just don't have the same motivation. You don't have the same interest. You don't have the same curiosity that you once had. So mm -hmm. that may contribute to a, a, a lack of purpose. So we need to make sure that we understand the difference between meaning and purpose. When I talk about meaning, it's just like kind of, it's, it's your why, right? You're, so for me, my meaning in life is to help people navigate the complexities and possibilities of life, right? Mm -hmm. What is my purpose? Well, for years, that was the what, right? So for years, that was teaching. So I did that for 15 years. And then I shifted my purpose into being a dean. So that was my purpose. But my mm -hmm. meaning never shifted. Your meaning is your meaning is probably more stable, but your purpose might shift over time. And that's and that's certainly okay, right? But what may happen is you look at your your meaning and your purpose and maybe they they're they're misaligned now and you don't feel like what you are doing is lining up with your meaning or it's not adding to your meaning in any way now let me be very very clear i am not saying that your your job has to be your purpose has to be your meaning not at mm -hmm. all right there are there are people my friend brian my he's my former co-host we call him brian on the bass because he plays bass in every band around the twin cities and he mm -hmm. started his own band. It's like a 90s tribute band. So they play all the awesome. hits from the 90s. It's a lot of fun. Gen X cool. Jukebox. If people want to check out Gen X Jukebox, please do show Brian some love. Now, Brian yeah. is the president of his company. So that's his job. And he, listen, he's he works in sales. He's fantastic at it. He's great. He found something that, that, that suits his strengths that suits he, he, who he is but what like gives wait, him wait 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 i gotta know something really quick yeah. what kind of company is it i didn't mean to cut you off but i don't want to forget this what kind of company is it that he works in I, or that he founded i i don't know oh really <laughs> no I, i'll tell you i'll tell you this when i meet people i never ask them what do you do for a living that's the most boring question and the most boring answer on the face of the earth. I never ask people, what do you do for a living? Because it's the least interesting thing about them. It's absolutely, and people are so caught up in the identity of their work. And that's why I'm like, I'm stressing your, your purpose and your meaning do not need to be tied up in your job title. 
So no, I never ask people, what do you do for a living? It's that's such a, that's such a boring answer unless they say something to me where I'm like, like the other day I met a woman and she is, Oh, what is, what is she? She's like an experienced curator. That's her job title. I'm like, okay, wait, what, what is, what's that? And basically she, she, she designs experiences for high end clients who travel around. And so she's here in Seoul right now trying to get some ideas about what to what kind of opportunities to offer her her clients. And I'm like, well, I'll show you around. I know some things here and I know some people that you can refer them to. And she's like, oh, that sounds great. So mm-hmm. I have no to go back to your question. I have no idea what Brian does. I just know he's the president of his company and I give two shits what the company is. What I know is that his passion and i'm going to come back to this idea of passion in a little bit too but his passion and his purpose is and his meaning are tied up in music and creating music and though he can be a president and he can be a dad and he can be a husband this music he that that's what really really fills his bucket of joy now too often we have we have these people saying follow your dreams follow your passions that is complete and utter nonsense this whole idea of follow your dreams follow your passions that's that's nonsense passion is a byproduct it is a byproduct and for me i've kind of come up with this formula so it's at the you don't you don't start with passion you end with passion so here's how i look at it in order to find our purpose, right? In order to find our meaning, in order to find our purpose, we're going to first start with what our strengths are, but then also understanding what our weaknesses and what our needs are. So that's step one. Step mm-hmm. two is exploring your curiosities. What are things that you want to understand better? What are some things that you want to learn? So let's explore those curiosities. And then step three is connecting with a community who can help you seek out those opportunities to to explore your curiosities while also synergizing with your strengths so that's really really important so bringing those three things together and that's where we find our purpose now how do we turn purpose into passion we take purpose and we multiply it by consistency discipline patience and self-compassion that is how you get to passion that is a byproduct. That is a destination. That is not a starting point. People who start with passion burn out very, very quickly. So I caution people and like having worked in education for all these years and listen to commencement speaker after commencement speaker say, follow your passions. It, it, I just want to raise my hand and, and, and say, I object because it's such ridiculous advice. To, mm-hmm. to say follow people who say follow your passions they they're providing a shortcut to their audience because they think that they follow their passions no you didn't you landed at your passion you figured out your passion because you were curious because you knew what your strengths were you knew what your needs were you found your community but then you also put the time and energy into it you were patient you were self-compassionate you did all of those things and then you landed at your passion you didn't follow it 
You figured it out first through curiosity and your strengths. Mm -hmm. Very cool, man. Very cool. And we're getting close on time for you to be able to make your meeting. So let's, let's wrap up. Um, let me just ask you something though, and I hate to do this. Maybe we could do a part two because you are a encyclopedia of <laughs> knowledge and stories. And I'd like to crack the book again, man. I really would. And I would love I'd it. like to explore. There's a lot more, I think, and I'll have to craft my questions and put a little more structure into it. But honestly, you just, you know, you're so entertaining and, uh, <laughs> you've made me think about all kinds of stuff. Just listening to you speak. I really appreciate this. Um, but I want to ask you something important, um, that I always like to ask every guest. Is there anything on your mind or in your heart that you might like to share with our listeners tonight, um, that you didn't get to say yet? Something that we didn't cover, we didn't run across, we didn't happen to bump into, like, what's in your mind and heart right now that you'd, you'd like to get out there for people to hear in your message? Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've shared a lot here today, and I, and I think if you are someone here, maybe this is, maybe this is kind of, this whole idea that everyone is special is also ridiculous. Not everyone is mm -hmm. not everyone is special. That's actually the antithesis to that definition. But everyone does have value. Everyone mm -hmm. has a value. Now, are you providing positive value? Are you providing negative value? Are you providing like a neutral value? So I think that's important. But I also think too, and we've talked a little bit about this, is just like your community also adds value. So if you're looking at the value that that you are providing and you're like, I'm not providing value, I would say, first of all, start with your community and look around and say, in what way is your community adding to your value or are they decreasing your value? I, I get real sick and tired of people who say, I got here on my own. No, you didn't. You didn't get here on your own. If you are someone who says, I got here all on my own, you are, one, you are, you are of one of two mindsets, in my opinion. One, you're ungrateful and you're unaware of the people along the way who helped you get to where you are now they may not necessarily be traditional maybe you didn't have the family support that other people have and that's what you mean when you say i got here all on my own but nobody gets anywhere all on their own somewhere along the line and it could be as simple as someone who just said hey have a nice day when you really needed to hear that because mm -hmm. that then may have shifted your mindset or reframed a situation for you so that you could move forward when you were having a challenging day. The other people who say, I got here all on my own, are people who are not happy with where they are. So if you're someone who says, well, I got here all on my own, is that where you want to be? Mm -hmm. do, 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 and be honest, is that really where you want to be? And if it's not where you want to be, that's okay. That's okay. 
where you are right now is perfectly fine. But if you don't want to stay there, then what are you willing to change? What are you willing to shift? What work are you willing to to put in to making the necessary changes to get closer to where you want to be? And it may, it's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve compromise. It's going to involve consistency. It's going to involve discipline. All things that are really difficult to instill. Things that I struggle with still Mm -hmm. to this day, I struggle with those things, being consistent, being disciplined. But I know that when I am consistent and when I am disciplined, then my product and my output is better my mood is better. My outlook is better. So I'm a big believer in taking a look at what your routines are and what your structures are, because in doing so, you can create a system for success. And I, when I say success, it's, it's objective, excuse me, it's, it's subjective. Success mm-hmm. is subjective. So what is success? look like to you because another part of this happiness study is that you find that there is a a a salary amount that people make and then when you go above that salary amount they're not necessarily any happier that the happiness quotient reaches i think it's like somewhere between 75,000 and 95 and 90,000 but you also have to take in mind cost of living because 90,000 in Montana is way different than 90,000 in New York City right so oh, yeah. you got to take a look at the cost of living index and in all of that too but you know what is it that Biggie used to say more money more problems right so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily mm-hmm. if you make more money that you that your problems are all going to go away but there is money does buy happiness to a point okay so what what level of financial security do you need to get to that's i mean do you really need three homes and 10 cars and all the stuff hell no you don't hey man it, it'd just be nice don't. to pay pay the rent or pay a mortgage for a year or two without having to work that would be nice yeah you know? yeah and and i i just got i started binge watching this show on netflix called my rich life with mm-hmm. R- ramit i can't i can't remember what ramit's last name is i would highly encourage people to check that out because he's helping people who have like just regular incomes live their rich life and figure out how to get closer to living their rich life through very simple strategic money management methods. So I give, I give, I give Ramit a, a huge shout out because my rich life was really, really interesting to me in about, in, in looking at, okay, what is it that I can even charge clients so that it you know i'm able to to cover my living costs but then at the same time i'm accessible and i've had a lot of people tell me you need to be charging three times that you need to be charging four times that you're way 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 and it's like yeah i could i could do that but but at the same time i i, I want to be people it, my product is only as good as what people will pay for it so mm-hmm. if I outprice myself, 
you know, and I, and I say, all right, I'm charging $10,000 and I help one client. Well, that, that isn't worth it to me. Like, yeah, that, I made a lot of money and I only had to work yeah, with dude. one client. It'd be better if you just had uh, 10, $1,000 clients and we really need to wrap up, dude. We're almost done. No, 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 um, no worries. But yeah, so, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And that's, that's what I would say as I leave with the, the audience, uh, that's what's in my heart. Very awesome, long winded. <laughs> I, I, I do apologize. I don't mean to cut you short, but I know you, you had a hard stop here in about 20 minutes and I want to give you time to, to do what you need to do before the next, um, cause it's daytime where you are. I'm getting ready to go to bed. Yeah, You're getting ready yeah. to go to a meeting, man. Yeah, no, no so, worries. I appreciate. Yeah. I'll go off on tangent. So I appreciate you. Uh, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. I really appreciate you being able to, you know, just convey so much, you know, without, I mean, honestly, I think you've demonstrated what you call the flow state quite well in your, your, uh, you know, just your ability to speak and share and convey information. I believe that's what it is because it certainly flowed really well. I mean, no interruption, but more importantly, from one to the next, and you've, didn't miss a beat or I mean you really did a good job here like just conveying your your truth and your reality I feel like I've gotten to feel your spirit in a way actually in this conversation I really uh, really like that actually I, I have to compliment you about that well I I appreciate that and and if other people felt the same way and they like the cut of my jib they can give me a follow here on on instagram is all right if i kind of plug myself here as we wrap up? oh god yeah i forgot to tell you that part yeah we want to that's part of what i wanted the extra few minutes for yeah. is uh yeah. we want to make sure that people know where billy lar is to be found how they can get in touch with him and what it is that they can expect when they contact you that's what i was after so please plug your website your instagram any of these things that you like i mean instagram TikTok. All that stuff is hot, so hit it, man. Tell us, tell us where to find you and what they can expect by reaching out to you. Yeah, if they, if you know, if they, if you want a mix of my travel adventures and some of the, I guess, life coach shenanigans that I'm offering, some some more of the the Billy wisdom, you can go to Instagram mindful underscore midlife underscore crisis. That's also the name of the podcast. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to www.mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. I have some courses that are available there. What where I would really like to see people is at the meditate and mingle sessions that you can also access at the website. You can join those. They're every Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time. So feel free to to register for those. I would love to see people come to those and and just learn a little bit more about how to live more mindfully and intentionally. And if you're like, well, I really like this conversation. I just want to have a conversation with you, Billy. You can go to the website. It says schedule a call. Let's let's do that. It's free. And personally, I just like hearing from you know. I do a lot of podcast interviews. I just like hearing mm -hmm. from people and knowing, hey, I heard you on the Toddcast and you said this thing and I thought it was really interesting or you said this on the Toddcast and I think you're full of shit and I want to talk about it. <laughs> I, I welcome those conversations too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And also you can find me on LinkedIn at Billy Lahr, L-A-H-R. Those are kind of the hot spots where, where people can find me. But if you if you want a real dose of, of what, mindful and intentional living is 
please come to the meditate and mingle sessions. Mm -hmm. I take it uh, from what it sounds, is that where people get together and kind of meditate and mingle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the structure of it is this. We take the first five minutes just to kind of check in. Hey, how, how have you applied what we've discussed here in this group uh, in the last week? So where were you mindful? Where were you intentional in the last week? Mm -hmm. And then we do a guided practice. It's anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. It's not just sitting at a screen and looking at it blankly. I'm leading the the practice, so it's guided all the way through. You can turn your camera off. You can turn your mic off if you think that's weird, no problem. But then after that, then we just have a conversation about, hey, what came up for you during this practice? What was a challenge for you during this practice? And then how can you use what we discuss here today and what we what you got from this practice moving forward in your day-to-day -day life? So we offer practicality as well as as connection. That's awesome. I might like to do that. Actually, that sounds like fun. I'd love to have you there. Um, thank you, man. That would be amazing. Well, Billy, uh, you have been more than a joy. I really appreciate you being here. And honestly, we could go on for hours. Um, maybe we could do a part two. I've only done it with a couple of people, but I'd really enjoy having you back for a part two episode sometime in the fairly near future if you're open to that. So I would be honored. You know, I would really love that. And just for anyone listening, you heard it first. Um, you know where Billy's coming from. What an interesting person. And if you're looking for peace and calm and just to settle the beast within your mind a little bit, Billy seems to have the information and the direction to help you do that. So I would encourage you to reach out to Billy Lahr, L-A-H-R, at mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. That's his website. Go there, check it out, join the meditation. Maybe we'll see you there. Maybe I'll see you there. Of course, you're going to see Billy there. Um, but yeah, man, um, what a great share. Thank you, brother. And I really appreciate you being on the show tonight. And I just wish you the best. Um, when are you coming back to the States, by the way? That is a good question. I'm not entirely sure. So I'm seeing how things shake out on this side of the Pacific. Okay, cool. And if you ever, or do you ever get outside the bounds of your home state? As much as I possibly can. <laughs> okay, well, if you ever want to come to Las Vegas, I, you got a place to stay and I'd love to have you and spend some time together. That would be amazing. Hey, I accept your offer. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thank you again, Billy, for being on the show tonight. And we will connect again, I'm sure, very soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Todd. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira, be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. 
throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.